This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg with the Collector Car Podcast. Just going to cover a few things here, especially after the RM Sotheby's auction at the Taj Mahal Garage in Dayton, Ohio. I was there in person. Took a bunch of pictures, posted them on Instagram at the Collector Car Podcast if you want to check it out. We'll go over each, not each, but most of the lots here in a second because the results were really quite interesting. But before that, I'd like to say a special thanks to the Sports Car Market, my favorite magazine. They are now our platinum sponsor, so I'll have access to all of their wonderful information they have available, and I will incorporate that into some cool insights on different car brands and how the marketplace is doing overall. And coming up soon, I will have a deep dive on Fox Body Mustangs. I don't want anyone to think that this is all about Porsches all the time, because it's not. It just happens to be the way things fall recently. So we will explore other cool cars here in the near future. So another thing I wanted to give a shout out for is that I'm acting as a selling agent. Honestly, it kind of happened organically. If you've been following me, you know I recently listed a 1965 54-year ownership Corvette convertible on Bring a Trailer recently. This was a fun and interesting process. It was actually a car I was pursuing for a number of years, and when it came time for uh, the opportunity, when it actually came up for sale, I was unable to buy it, and they asked me if I would represent them, and I said, sure, why not? So that was a great, fun experience. If you check out my handle on Bring a Trailer is Revved Up Motors. So if you check that out, you can see my Mustang that I sold over a year ago. You can see the Corvette that technically was a no sale, but I got it sold within two minutes of the auction ending, and now it's with its happy new owner in the Dallas, Texas region. I'll do a little bit of an overview of the how that whole process went here shortly on a future podcast. Another Corvette coming up for sale that I'm representing will be on Bring a Trailer possibly by the time that this airs. It's a 1969 Corvette convertible, another convertible, but this one's a big block. 427, 390-horse, four-speed car. Really original and amazing. So it's been owned by the same owner since 1983, and it's unrestored. So it's got a lot of paint nicks, but it's a cool car with about 52, 53,000 miles on it. And it's very original. I posted uh, three videos on YouTube, kind of the walk around, the driving experience, and that will be there shortly. So that's another great car. And then I have a 56, I believe, uh, Thunderbird coming up soon. So if you want any help in selling your car, just shoot me a note. You don't actually have to be in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. I just consulted on a collection out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so just shoot me a note. You can reach me at the collectorcarpodcast.com or you can DM me directly at the Collector Car Podcast on Instagram. So Looking forward to hearing from all of you and your cool cars. So just a quick note of some recent visits I've been able to uh, participate in and post some pictures on Instagram. These are in no particular order, but I found myself outside of Albany, New York, and I took that opportunity to, to visit Unobtainium. So they deal in really rare Porsche parts. So a really cool place. Picture a barn in the country with all sorts of 356s sitting outside in various states of disrepair and 9-11. So there was some really cool stuff there. I asked uh, Adam, I asked him, what was the coolest part you had in your entire collection? And he took me into the back room. It's actually the worst picture I have on Instagram because it was kind of dark in there. 
but he, he took me into the back and he showed me a frame, a frame picture, not a picture, but it was the cover, the seat cover to like the third Gamoon Porsche ever made. So those are the earliest of the early Porsches and he had the original seat cover and he framed it and it's in his office, which was really, really cool. So I took that picture, the picture's horrible, but if you zoom in a little bit, you can see what it is. And there's a little black and white picture in the corner of the actual car. Beyond that, there was some other cool stuff there. There was a 912, I believe, 69 or so. And it was from Florida. It needs a total restoration, some rust. But what was really cool when you opened the glove, glove box door, it had all of the original documentations, including the, uh, I'm drawing a blank on it right now, the uh, the metal card that had all of the original owner's information. So that was really cool to see. I took some pictures of that. And then you had another 911, uh, I think it was a 67. And this one was owned by like the king of Saudi Arabia or something like that. He showed it to me. He didn't know it until he bought the car and tracked down the ownership information. Or I don't know, one of those countries over there in uh, the Middle East. And what was cool about that car is it was a paint to sample color, some type of silver to match his 904. And he actually had a picture of the king or the prince next to both cars, both the 904 and the 911. So that one's due to be restored at some point in the future. After that, I was able to go to Hardwood Motors outside of Cleveland. This is a kind of like a consignment slash dealer of collector cars. Really nice guy. Gave me a full tour of the place. The coolest car there was a 1969 Superbird he had out front. I posted some pictures on Instagram. And if you don't follow me now, I would recommend you do. I'm using the Instagram uh, stories feature where I do a little video, one minute video, and it's only there for 24 hours. And I did a video of this Superbird. What was cool about this car is technically it's never had an owner. It's never been titled. Unrestored original 440. I think I had a three-speed on the column, so it wasn't the four, 426 four-speed car, but it was still a really, really cool unrestored original and never titled. So it was in the original dealership family forever. I guess the dealership closed or something else, and it just it's still in the family's possession and now it's for sale. Now it's for sale at a fairly steep price. I think it was around $189,000. But if you consider you will actually be the first owner and have an unrestored real Superbird, I don't know. What kind of price can you put on that? So that was really cool. They had some cool stuff in there. When I went to the local Cars and Coffee down the street here at Liberty Center north of Cincinnati, I saw another really cool car that I'm hoping to buy one day. Well, we will see. It was a first-generation Miata. I believe it was a 1991, and it only had 25,000 miles on it, and it looked really, really nice. The issue with the car, is, as it had recently been at auction, is that it had hail damage, and everything had been fixed except for the hood. And because of the hail damage, and I don't to totally quite understand this, it has a rebuilt title uh, instead of, uh, you know, one of the other types of a salvage title. So I'm not quite sure. I know that affects the value of the car, but, uh, the guy that bought it said he would be selling it soon. So I'm going to take a look at that and see if it's worth it. It's not often you come across a 24, 25,000 original mile first generation Miata. And those prices are starting to go up. And the next place I was able to visit was Mecham auction in Louisville, Louisville, you know, it's spelled Louisville, but you always get beat up. Even when you say Louisville, they say that's not right. So I don't know. You got to consult with the locals when you're trying to pronounce that. So anyways, went to the Mecham auction there. First time being at that auction. I had been to, I go to Indy every year 
IndieShu, which is massive. There's some really high-end collections that are sold through that venue. This venue was quite a bit different. It was much more kind of your cruising, local show and shine cars, and even some cars I kind of wondered why they were there. Uh, there was like a 19, I don't know, 91 Chevy van. <laughs> so I guess they're becoming collectible. I don't know. I want to think a van would be in there. So the quality of the car wasn't quite as high, but it was much more achievable, meaning the dollar price points were a lot lower. And there was a lot fewer cars. I mean, I say fewer. There's probably still 1,100 to 1,200 cars there. So watched a lot of those go through, went through the line and took some pictures there. So getting to the Taj Mahal Garage auction. So a little bit of a history on this. Uh, RM Sotheby's did a wonderful job. I met quite a few of the car specialists while, while I was there. And I went to this place about four or five years ago. So the story is, is John Dixon was the guy that started it. He was the founder of Rent to Own, I believe. And so he put a lot of his uh, disposable income into cool Porsches and VWs. So it's an amazing place. It was a building downtown Dayton. The guy put all of his effort and time into this. It was like the ultimate man cave. Numerous rooms. He had quite a sense of whimsy and a little edginess to him. There were hand-painted murals uh, across a lot of the walls. And picture, and I'll, I'll post some pictures on Instagram, but picture like a city street and he put in all sorts of caricatures. It could be everything from the Blues Brothers to Goofy to Mickey Mouse to celebrities. I think Donald Trump's on there somewhere. And just a lot of fun. Great sense of humor. Great whimsy in this place. And he had all sorts of cool stuff. He had like half of a 9-11 front end coming out of the wall. And if you looked in the window, Bill Clinton was driving it. And I think it was like at a beach scene. So he had bikini clad models there and you had like Marilyn Monroe all painted on the walls just amazing mural work done and then he had all sorts of memorabilia he had a lot of stuff upstairs on the second floor including some classic arcade machines and he had Porsche pool tables all sorts of cool signs auto, uh, automobilia all sorts of neat stuff and so unfortunately he had passed away I would say five or six years ago so I never actually had a chance to meet him and I did go there when it was functioning as an event center for a party, a Christmas party one time. And that was the first time I was exposed to any of this. And so I was just blown away. I think I wasn't even engaged in the party. I was just walking around and drooling over everything. And I had the local guy who was the manager gave me a kind of behind the scenes tour at some of the rooms that weren't open to the Christmas party. So wonderful, amazing time. It's been up there for years and it finally went to auction and it was a tremendously successful auction. And RM Sotheby's just posted the results. I think it was about $5.6 million was raised through the selling of everything and a lot of special cars, specifically special Porsches. So I'm going to go through a few of these. I won't go through all of them. Some sold below estimate. Others were above. Some were surprising. And uh, it's just interesting to see the way things are occurring within the marketplace here. So in no particular order, I'm just going to run down this list. So 2007 Porsche 911 GT3 RS, the estimate was 225 to 275 as this car only had a little bit over 1,100 miles. John Dixon uh, special ordered it new and it sold for 181.5. So that was quite a bit under the estimate by a solid 40, 44 grand. Not quite sure why. Another car I didn't pull up the specs or the estimate was a kind of like a a full project, a Porsche 356. I don't even think it had the fenders. looked really, really rough. It sold for $96,000, a little bit over. What was interesting, and they didn't promote it this way, 
but supposedly it was Evita's car from Don't Cry For Me Argentina. And there were some pictures elsewhere within the Taj Mahal garage uh, showing her in the car. Maybe it's because it couldn't have been documented directly to her, but it still brought really strong money, $96,000 for a basket case, basically, 356. Another car I didn't get the estimate for was a really nice white uh, 914.6. So the six cylinder 914. This is one I had taken pictures of a few weeks ago when I was getting my Porsche serviced at P3 up there in Dayton. A few of these cars were in there to be prepped for the sale. So I had posted a few of those. That sold for 132000 which seems pretty solid because I know a lot of those trade in the 90 to 100 grand range. So that uh, seems right on, especially considering the provenance of that particular car. The next one's a 1997 Porsche 911 Turbo Coupe. This is one I fell in love with. If you're on Instagram recently, you saw, I, I think I just posted this is it, or this is the one. This one was absolutely gorgeous. John, Dick, John Dixon ordered it brand new, loaded it up with every possible option he could. A paint to sample, I guess it was through the Porsche Special Wishes program and a paint-to-sample pearl white metallic. And I never thought I would like a pearl white metallic car, period, much less a Porsche. But this one was amazing. And the turbo twist wheels were matched in color, which was really unique. It had a tan interior. I wasn't crazy about the wood grain stuff on a Porsche. For some reason, to me, wood grain just doesn't belong on the interior of a Porsche. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, age up to that opinion. We will see. So that was a beautiful car. The sticker or the estimate was 225 to 275. This one sold for 363. Way exceeded the estimate by over $100,000, the low estimate. And I think this has a lot to do with the generational changes that are going on. You got the next geners looking at these Porsche turbos. This was very low miles, under 2600 original miles. And I actually talked to his widow uh, for a little while. I wanted to thank her for just having such an awesome place. And she said that they were going back and forth about keeping this car. And then they realized that they would get into a massive fight if anyone put a scratch or a dent in the car. So it seems like they got rid of it strictly to keep family peace. Now, ironically, she did keep actually a few cars. I don't remember them off the top of my head, unfortunately. But one of them was a Porsche and one of them was a VW. So the next one is a 1990, I'm sorry, 1988 Porsche 911 Turbo Flat Nose Coupe. I don't care for these uh this one was a really really nice one it's a factory built 930 s flat nose turbo uh has uh, just under 14,000 miles it was red and uh, they were estimating 175 to 225 and it hit the a uh, little bit below the mid estimate at 190,000 dollars there's another car i like to do a little bit of research on i didn't think much of it when i saw it but it was a mangosta buggy so think of a doom buggy it sold for 100 and $5,000. So I want to find out. I'm guessing that Mangosta was a specialty, very low production number uh, manufacturer. So that's why this one went for such a big, big dollar ring. The next one is a 1958 Porsche 356A sedan delivery. Now this one was estimated to sell between $100,000 and $150,000. And this was really cool. Think of a Porsche 356 that was turned into a two-door station wagon <laughs> so they had the big door on the back it was black it had the Taj Mahal garage logo on the side and like gold leaf which is really quite nice what's interesting about this car is I was talking to the car specialist who was actually in the car when I approached him and he was really impressed with the quality of the restoration considering it was kind of resto mod 
kind of like a hot rodded, you know, 356 turned into a little delivery car. And it was immaculate concourse restoration with only 51 miles on it. And what was interesting is he said, he pointed out the wheels, which were red wheels. They were chromed. He said the wheels alone were worth 50 grand. So if you figure that this thing sold for just over $80,000, it seems like 85 too. It seems like that was the steal of the century right there. Of course, it was a little different um, when you looked at it from an exterior perspective. You know, it didn't fit any classification. You definitely would get the uh, heads to turn at any local cruising. The next one is a 1967 Porsche 911 S Coupe. Again, this is one I fell in love with. And if you spend any time with me, you'll realize I love all cars. So it's hard for me to really narrow down which one I like more than the other. But this was a gorgeous silver 911. And what was fascinating about this is it had very low miles, I think under 20,000 miles, only three owners from new. And it was ordered directly through the factory and prepared for tourist delivery and had a ton of documentation, which was pretty entertaining because the original owner, he would write to Porsche trying to get this perfect car. He started off with a 356 and I don't know, I can't remember the specifics, but he ended up going to the 901 because he heard that was coming out. Then the timing didn't work out with the 901. So then he went with the 911. So he started trying to order this car, I think in 1963. And he ended up getting a 1967 when he finally came to grips on what he wanted, how he wanted it, and when he wanted it. And it had like all the options available, including like a luggage rack with matching luggage and the uh, cool side view mirrors on the front fenders. This is another one that was at P3 when I was there. So you can check back and see some of the pictures I've already posted on my Instagram. So this one was estimated to sell between 350 and 450 and it sold for 330 So a little bit under estimate and uh, just a beautiful car. The next one I'll just talk briefly. It's a 1967 Volkswagen Type 2 high roof panel van. Very beautiful blue van. Uh, estimate was 60 to 80 grand and it was restored in 2004. Only sold for 50, so sold under estimate. I think what was kind of funny about this, and I, I took pictures. I don't think I've posted them yet or not. But John Dixon had a little bit of a unique sense of humor. Some of his humor could be considered edgy. And I just remember there was a, a cartoon hot dog on the side. And I don't remember what he was saying, but I think it was kind of edgy. So if you were looking to buy this and you didn't agree with his humor, uh, it might have taken a little bit of the price off the top of that. So... Uh, the next one's a 1981 Porsche 924 Carrera GTS Club Sport. Now, this one was, I think, the highlight for a lot of folks at the sale. This is the next-gen car. When I talked to three of the RM Sotheby's car specialists, I wanted to find out what's your, what's your favorite car in this collection. Three of them said this car, and I think a lot of it had to do is they, they were about 10 years younger than me. <laughs> so they were the, the next generation, and this is what they were looking at. So this one was estimated between 250 and 350. And it's one sold for 352, so a little bit over high estimate. And this is one of only 50 uh, that were uh, that were cr created back in the day. It was only one of I think 12 or 15 that were upgraded to the club sport pack, club sport package, and it only has 47 kilometers recorded. So this is a factory race car that was never raced, and uh, you just are not going to be able to repeat this again, which is why I think it went for such a high number. The next one's more of your traditional 356s that you might think of. Um, it is a, sorry, 1952 356 Cabriolet. Estimate, beautiful, uh, like maroon color. I think it had gray interior. Uh, estimate was 375 to 425. Uh, very rare. It sold for 300. So that was way below estimates. Um, 
And then another 356 was probably the star of the show. 1957 Porsche 356, a Carrera GT Speedster. So this is not only a Speedster, but it had the optional upgraded Carrera engine, which is notoriously difficult to tune and to keep in working order. The estimate for this one was $1.5 to $2 million. And while I was there, I was watching folks really go over this car with a fine-tooth comb. And these were the experts of the experts in the business. And this one sold for $1.4 million, a little bit underestimate. And I just remember... One of the experts said, I asked him, you know, hey, how's it looking? He's like, oh, there's a major issue. But then he said, but it's nothing to worry about. So I don't know what that major issue was. At the time, he was in the engine bay looking at the engine. If you look at the history on this car, for a while, it had the wrong engine, but it replaced it with the original matching number engine and transmission. So I'm not quite sure what the quote-unquote major issue would have been unless it was a recast block or something. Or I don't know. Maybe there was a major repair that was evident so I'm curious to learn a little bit more on that. Uh, this one came with the rare steel Speedster hardtop, which apparently is worth about ten grand on the open market, as most of them were fiberglass. The next car is a 1974 Porsche 911 Carrera Coupe. Again, this is the third car that was at P3 when I had my little 996 worked on. You can see the pictures from a few weeks ago. This is a number of matching drivetrain. It was estimate between 175 and 225. A white car with black stripes. Now I don't. I'm assuming it was factory option, but it had three black stripes <laughs> down the center. And at the nose of the car, you can see where they spelled out 911, which is kind of cool. Kind of had to look for it. So this one sold underestimate. The under, the low estimate was 175 It sold for $165. Uh, let us see. The next one, this is an, another race car from uh, 1988, a Porsche Rothmans 944 Turbo Cup. Estimate was for seventy-five to one hundred grand. sold at $96. So right there on mark. Uh, this one, uh, the next one's a 1967 Porsche 911 right-hand drive coupe. And again, one I fell in love with. This one had less than 4,000 miles. It was a beautiful white, and it had the chrome Porsche hubcaps. Immaculate condition, right-hand drive, black interior. It has, I think, the only, I might be wrong on this, but I thought it had one of the only factory-documented AC units, or it was a factory-installed AC unit. And estimate was 150 to 200, and only sold for 107. So I don't know quite what happened there. It might just be the right-hand drive. Folks don't want that for their fun and enjoyable Porsche here in the States. And then uh, we had a 1953 Porsche 356 Limousine Custom. This is the one that is the artwork for this particular podcast, if you want to pull that up. This one was estimated to 150 to 250 and it sold for $203,500. So this is a one-off custom 356 Limousine, a gorgeous, like, ivory white, very detailed, uh, just beautiful beautiful car just one you won't see often i don't know what you would tip really use it for unless you know you have 15 porsches and you want something different and special and a couple other last minute notes here there was an iron bug that i forgot the exact verbiage but this was one of the 22 or 24 uh, vw beetles that were built as part of the 1968 olympics that were in mexico so this artist built two of them for the uh, the Olympics in Mexico in 1968, and basically picture all the body panels are off, and the body panels are now consisted of wrought iron in these very decorative styles, um, shapes, and you can actually see through the entire car, which is really cool. They're white. So he made two for the Olympics, and then I think it was 22 or 20 were made for customers. So very rare car, very cool car. A friend of mine was trying to buy this particular one. 
it was not to be as it sold for $77,000, which if it is one of the 22, 24, I can totally see it. If it was a one-off other, that seems kind of expensive. And the other one I kind of want to find out, I don't know what it sold for, but I want to find out. There was a really nice Porsche sign, pretty big, about three feet tall, two feet wide, I don't know. Uh, originally, it was estimated to go between 8000 and 10000 And then when I was there, it was estimated to go between 12000 and 15000 So it really popped up in price between the initial projections and the day of. So I want to see what happened and what that thing sold for. So again, as a reminder, you can check out all of this on www.thecollectorcarpodcast.com. Follow me on Instagram at The Collector Car Podcast. I do have a Facebook page. I don't do a lot with it, and uh, as well as a YouTube. There will be some YouTube videos that capture a screen capture from when I do charts and graphs of the different uh, marketplace trends that may be going on. So, for example, for the Fox Body Mustangs I have coming up, I have quite a few charts showing which ones have appreciated the most in the last three years or so, which ones you should look forward to. I do break out, like, the first... I don't know, 1979 to 1986 Mustangs versus the 1987 to the 1993. So just trying to see what's selling where, what I would recommend as an investment potential going forward. Thanks for listening in and be sure to tune in next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.